Good day and welcome to another Forge Side Chat, a podcast about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between, with a heavy focus on talent in the Great White North. We're talking about Canada, right, Lyndon? Hey, and today we have Sandra Dunn on the show with us. How are you doing, Sandra? I'm doing really well. Awesome. So for those of you that do not know, Sandra Dunn comes from Kitchener, Ontario, and she is running toothsmiths.ca where she runs workshops, um, does coppersmithing, and does bladesmithing uh, workshops, all sorts of stuff. So she's here today with us, and um, we're going to deep dive into some of her experiences and just chat it up and have some fun. Sounds good. But before we get uh, diving into the deep stuff, let's talk about how we're doing today and what we've been up to for the last little bit. Justin, you want to start us off, bud? You bet. Um, Well, kind of been spending more time in the shop. Cooler temperatures has been uh, a positive in my life. So um, I worked on a hatchet. Forge well did some rot around a ADCRV2 bit, and it turned out pretty awesome. Um, what was I doing today? I was working on a machete and I was trying to forge some H13, but my press is just not hacking it. I need to redo some dies. So that's uh, what I'll be working on in the next couple of days to see if I can move that stuff. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to do. That, Sell it? Nah, that hatchet was freaking awesome, buddy. That, that was the one that you posted online? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, on dude. at Rainy Day Forge. How did you do the handle for that? That was amazing. Uh, I shaped it all by hand. I've got some large contact wheels. I used a 10-inch and a 12-inch. And pretty much just, uh, yeah, there's a video out there of me making it. But um, Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. For, it, it, actually, the, the handle's a little bit narrow. Um, my wife loves it, though. She's like, no, it fits my hand perfectly. But I'm like, eh. I wish I, I, it had a bit more girth. But, uh... Zip it, Lyndon! <laughs> Zip it! Zip it! Don't we, do it! Don't we, do it! We <laughs> talked about it last ep- ep- between two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it clean, man. <laughs> well, Lyndon, I, I have to say, it, I, I love the axe, dude, but the, it has a blue dye to it, man. Did you just, was that the wood that you selected? or uh, No, it's hickory. Um, I used, I think it's Samian. Uh, it's like a dye slash um, protectant and it works pretty well. They have like tons of different colors. That's, uh, yeah, I forget which color this is exactly, but they make like, I have raspberry and I've got a whole bunch of different ones that cool. I don't know, collected over the, the last little while. They're pretty nice. They come yeah. in little jars too, so you don't have to buy a big bucket of it cool oh, I like that. that was sweet so how do what are you talking about with this color it's uh i'll show it to you not so great for the uh it's ah blue. okay if, if yeah. you want to see it where can they go they and don't see get it? blue hands when you use the axe no no it's a dye or a stain cool. sorry so it yeah. stains the wood cool. if somebody I wants understand to understand the appeal for color mm-hmm. yeah no i think it's gorgeous we're, we're if somebody wants to see a picture of it where do they go Rainy Day Forge on Instagram. There you go. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, one lady reached out saying, oh, I want one. And I was like, OK, hang on. <laughs> go. Give it time. I'll make some more. Yeah. So normally, like with do you, you, do you probably play with patinas and stuff like that, Sandra? Hey, A little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, work a lot with copper and been doing some black and steel. But um, and yeah, I mean, experiments I've done with black and steel. I actually really love doing, uh, well, I, unless I'm doing it for a customer, which I'm always, only ever always doing for a customer. And they're always second guessing. But I do love the process of, of putting the acid on a piece of steel and then moving it around. And then I realize, oh, this is just like a charcoal drawing, right? This could be really fascinating. I think I should just get a really big sheet of steel and I should just do a drawing. But, you know, then forget about that until the next time we're trying to do a finish and I find that doing patinas and finishes take forever we've been doing a bunch of them lately with black and steel for a fireplace around and a bunch of valences and the fire and range hood and I think I've spent like four hours just trying to get the patina right on a range hood Hmm. crazy anyway takes a long time are you using and it's not even getting color really you're getting you know kind of black or bronzy black. finishes uh, sculpt or we'll Nouveau? work with copper uh Red. they're the they're the um they're the birchwood casey um birchwood casey. yeah acids. okay yeah. gun bluing stuff yeah nice nice yeah. linden you're weak man let's hear it Life's been busy, man. My kid broke her arm. Uh, I went and got my first job. And oh. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I did it. Nice. And uh, got the shop going finally here. I did a little bit of work in there. Got some welding started up and got another order on the go now because the guy found out that I'm working again. So he's like, oh, you can do more work. Here's another order. And so. Oh. Yeah, so busy, busy, and, you know, kid was supposed to start school this week, but uh, everything's all of a a big mix-up because of the move. Uh, We were looking at going to one school, then we had to go to another school. That didn't kind of all jive well with how the system's working right now, and, uh, you know, living on one end of town and taking her all the way to the complete opposite end of town. It's like a 45 minute drive every morning to take her to school. That's what we're going to be looking at here. So Yikes. it's kind of like, yeah, for the next three months, that it's fun. Yeah. But thank God for, uh, thank God for Bobka, man. She's uh, stepping up to the plate. She'll be helping up, oh. helping out. So yeah, man. Awesome. Uh, grandparents are great. Right. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank goodness for them. They are. So yeah. Yeah. that's, that's pretty much my week, man. What about yourself, Sandra? What have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I was in Newfoundland last week and just got back on Sunday. And so I've been trying to finish up. We're working on a copper fireplace around for a condo downtown Kitchener. It's about five foot diameter. It's like a copper donut, kind of like a shield shape with a hole in the middle. And they want it all hand planished. Oh, wow. Um, so I've been trying to finish that and it'll have brass in behind it. And I have to get it polished before we install it. And then I've tried drilling into the porcelain which was super hard i got diamond bit on uh, tip drill bits and it took like a good 45 minutes just to drill one quarter inch diameter hole in the like five eighths inch thick piece of porcelain so i think oh i need to go get God. a new bit 
Wow. Is that what you're attaching it to? It's porcelain. Yeah. Tile. So we're going to put some fasteners in and we've created a frame in behind the copper fireplace around that will, you know, hang it on that. Yeah. And then we've got a, um, a, a small public art proposal to do for the city of Waterloo. We're actually building some giant birdhouses out of concrete with colored tile. I'm doing that with a friend that oh, I've known cool. for a lot of years who's been doing home renovations. I thought it would be really fun to work on a public art project. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm sorting out a whole bunch of new, have details for a new build. We've got stainless and copper range hoods to do and railings and a bunch of brass, brass backsplash and Holy moly. store. And that won't be, we won't have to do that for another 18 months, but they're trying to, Try to get us to figure out all the material we need ahead of time so that you don't end up in the situation where a the material costs have tripled again or aren't available or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much the way it is now. Is definitely got to play right. play ahead smart. Yeah, and we're just starting to ramp up our courses again. So we, I set up a teaching facility in my newest shop. So I'm on shop number six in my career in the last Whoa. 28 years I set this one up in 2017 so we got 2400 square feet and Ooh. I set it up with the purpose of, te of creating a teaching facility in there so we've got four forges we've got eight workstations for forging using coke um, and uh, and then we teach coppersmithing courses too and bronze casting and yeah wow a variety of other courses um, so yeah, COVID kind of ate into that, um, a bit. Uh, so it's kind of exciting to be able to see people again and invite people back to the shop. We, we, we did run courses when we weren't on full lockdown, but here in Ontario, we're locked down from end of March till beginning of July. So yeah. that meant no teaching at all. Yeah. Now that you are able to, are people kind of jumping on? Like, is there oh, yeah. a, wait, a yeah. waiting list? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd imagine. Which is everyone... great. I figure people are going to be hungry for getting their hands dirty after. Exactly. Know, totally. Stuck yeah. inside and in front of their computers. Let's hope yeah. so anyway. Yeah. Oh. I'd imagine. Yeah. It's... Just our summer here in Winnipeg was ridiculously hot. And as soon was as it, it hit yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like plus so crazy. 30. All Every, summer. yeah. All summer. <laughs> it was nuts. Did that so... at least mean fewer mosquitoes? It did, yeah. Well, there yeah. was no super no dry. rain, yeah. There was right? no rain, yeah. So we were lucky for that. The yeah. forest fires like burnt them all. So right. <laughs> had we had rain and those heats, oh my dear yeah. lord, oh, would have been, been unbearable. Would have yeah. been a jungle, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, how was Newfoundland? What were you doing out there? I was on a holiday there. I love oh. Newfoundland. It's my favorite place in the whole world. Nice. I've been there six times. A little place called Keels where the road it's at the end of the road and you know the houses are all kind of nestled in among the rock outcrops and it's just the ocean and trails and there's a lake can swim in off the pond they call it <laughs> of course yeah. so yeah so I just went there and uh and did a little bit of drawing and and stared at the ocean and did a lot of walking and swimming and uh yeah relaxed really fully in the landscape it's like there are pockets of moss where you can just lie down you walk a little bit and you lie down somewhere else or yeah it's gorgeous oh, that sounds awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure does 
I feel more relaxed. Just uh, just the description of it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> forest yeah. peace sounds good. Yeah, and it was lovely to you know get away. My son's been my son's 23, graduated from university, started full time job as an engineer, working from home. Um, oh, wow. So he's been here the whole time, and so it's kind of nice to have a break. And then before I got back, he went out to BC to visit his girlfriend who I hadn't seen for a year. So that was good too. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Exciting. Watch out. Watch out. He's going to move out. And then in 20 years, he'll want to move back in so he can get his new house. And all <laughs> no, hell break he's, the one, he's, he, he's the one making a good living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. But I'm doing all right, man. I tried telling my mom she should sell her house and move in with us because then she's just on her own in this decent sized house, but um, uh-huh. doesn't want to listen to me on that one. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So when when you guys are doing uh, all the uh, different type of copper work, you, was that something that you just started getting into on your own? What kind of led you down the road of getting into copper work? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, uh I I had a series of hinges I was making, 26 hinges for a guy by the name of Fred Savage. He was a woodworker. I'm trying to think how long ago that was. That was in 1999, I guess. And, um, and I needed someone to help me finish them, do a bunch of filing. And I had, uh, I was helping an artist who was teaching at UW here prepare for a public art project and at a distillery the distillery district in toronto and then in i thought oh well we could you know let's do something out of copper and then i came to the shop where i was working was at artifacts so artifacts is a a business where they uh buy parts of old buildings or they demolish old buildings and save the interesting pieces and try to resell them or use them in building pieces of furniture so one day scott one of the owners came and says hey he said i just met this coppersmith from the UK, Latin uh, last night at this party, I said, "Well, what's his name? What's his phone number? I need to call him." So I called this guy up, Steve White, and uh, I ended up hiring him to finish these hinges with me. And then we ended up. Uh, I really, really liked working together, and we ended up working together. Ran a business for fourteen years. Oh, wow. So that's wow. how I learned about <laughs> coppersmithing. So he had done his formal apprenticeship in the UK. And, and yeah. So is he the second Smith then? Yeah. So he that's is. where two Smiths came from. Right. So it was blacksmith, coppersmith. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we ran the business together for 14 years and he retired in 2013. I had no idea I was segueing into that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was a, he sort of loved the technical aspect of the copper work and he loved being really precise. And I come at this from more of an art background, right? So I did a degree in fine art and I finished university and well, I didn't have anything to say as an artist when I was 25. <laughs> and I also did a degree in, in <laughs> rhetoric and professional writing. Well, I don't have anything to say as a writer either. So I think that's partly why I got into forged work because it's functional. So you don't have to make an excuse for why it exists. Right. And then you can also make it beautiful. And I loved, I always loved problem solving when I was, I think I was 13. I was, I think I bought my first bicycle when I was in grade eight. 
was a 10 speed about it at Canadian Tire, I remember. And within a couple of years, I read the book um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And in there, he talks about a using part of an aluminum pop can or beer can as a shim to, I don't know, fix his handlebars or something. And then he talked about taking the motorcycle apart and how you could actually lay the parts out. And then if you did it in this orderly manner, then you could figure out how to put it back together. I thought, wow, that's amazing. So I took my bicycle apart and put it back together again. And so I, I always really liked that, I don't know, that aspect of understanding how relatively simple things work. And, and the bicycle worked afterwards? Yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> my dad impressive. tried to get involved. <laughs> and my dad tried to get involved and was hammering on something. I'm watching Bill ball bearings roll down. Oh, the no. like, oh. <laughs> You're supposed to be helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, did, I did manage to fix it. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I can't tell people that same story because I tried to do the same thing and did not fix it. That's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was I think, motivated. I needed to get on that bike so I could ride it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's when around the same age my dad started to show me how to weld and stuff. And that oh, was the same really? thing. Oh, yeah. Lucky. Yeah. My dad was, uh, he worked for CN at the, yeah. the railroads. Yeah. And he was into weld, well, just tinkering in the shop and stuff. And he had invented uh, this. This machine that would drop inside the cars of the the train, so he was making all the stuff for drop inside the cars of the train uh, for for repairing the insides. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. He didn't really see much uh, much money out of that invention, but it 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 allowed him to learn how to do all this stuff. And I kind of tagged along to to make that stuff. So it was. Uh, but I always really wanted to, to weld bikes together and try making mm. weird contraptions, but never was never able to weld the, the thin steel or aluminum there. So can you now? Uh I can the steel, aluminum. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I can't weld at all. No. I've no. never had to. Steve, who was my business partner, I did a little bit of stick welding in the beginning and MIG welding. And then when I started working with Steve after I've been forging for I don't know, four years, he made fun of my welds. So he did all the oh. welding, all TIG <laughs> welding, you know, all perfect. And yeah. then, yeah, then he retired and then I had to do welding for a couple of years, shameful stuff. But <laughs> I, always, I always get other people to do the welding because <laughs> they're way better at it than I am. It's so I've got arts. two people working for me right now, Bronson Kozdas and Amy Botello. And both of them are really excellent at welding. So they can weld the sheet copper together. Nice, Thin nice. stuff, right? 22 gauge. Make the weld disappear. It's amazing. Wow. Sweet. Um, well done. So these uh, two people you have working for you, are they on uh, Facebook or Instagram? Are they? Um... Uh, yeah, they're both on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, so is that... Amy. Yeah. Amy Botello. And then Bronson Kostas. I don't know what they're in. Oh, wait. Are, I, I follow Amy. I've been talking to yeah, her. Yeah, she said she was following you guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that's hilarious. I didn't know she was working for you. That's cool. Yeah. Would that be your shout out for the day, Sandra? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do, do you want to do ours while we're at it, Lyndon? Um, you know what? That's not a bad Let's idea. Do it. Yeah. Uh, so the other day, this guy posted to the Canadian uh, blacksmith and bladesmith group 
which is something that Justin and I take a lot of partake in. We are uh-huh. constantly, yeah. you know, on there. And this gentleman um, was nice enough to give us to give us a shout out, essentially, on the Facebook page, saying how much he was enjoying the show. And I mean, I, I'm humbled to have somebody tell me that they're they're listening to the show and they're enjoying it. So I mean, all all due respect. Uh, give give the love back to him and. Um, the, who's the shout out man yeah. spit it out <laughs> <Was he? laughs> the, the gentleman's name is Kyle, Kyle Poser Poser po- I, I don't know how to say the last name I'm sorry Kyle yeah. um, Poser Kyle you're awesome man thank you so much for the shout out dude that was amazing uh, and thank you for uh, enjoying the show man That's uh, glad to hear that people are actually enjoying it and getting something out of it uh, that's the whole whole aim of it, man. Try to give some people some entertainment and some some knowledge and spread oh. the love. Hey, while we're shouting out Kyle, we got another shout from JK Blades. He runs the Hustle and Grind podcast. No way! Which, yeah, yeah. He wrote me a message saying that he listened to the podcast. He really enjoyed it. And uh, pickle cutters. Nick Tobin, last episode, he's now co-host on that uh, on that podcast too. So it's it called it Hustle back. and Grind. Hustle yeah. and Grind. So they talk like more that about name. That's good. The business right? of uh, blacksmithing, but more bladesmithing, I believe. So yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. both bladesmiths, more more or less. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was listening to the show today. It's a pretty good show. Very, very. And well where are they today. out of? Where are they from? Mm. Well, I'm Nick not is. Sure. Nick is out of uh, New Brunswick, Claire. right? Yeah, Claire, New yeah. Brunswick. Oh, cool. So they're and, Canadian. Well, Nick is his co-host. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure he's down in the States from the sounds of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He sounds like Dewey Cox from uh, <laughs> 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 the legend of Dewey Cox. Rock, walk hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I, but he's got a Canadian sponsor for a show. He picked up uh, C Corp. The uh, epoxy epoxy company, yeah, oh, they're great. Spo- yeah, excellent they're sponsoring your shows, so he's doing good things, yeah, definitely. There, all right, that's awesome to hear that. Uh, he enjoyed the show too, Sandra. You were talking about drawing out on the east coast. Um, I was looking at your website and looking at all your beautiful, beautiful installations. What kind of um does your drawing inspire your work or like how are they tied together at all? Like yeah, when you're tied planning together for sure. I, I guess I start most of my ideas by drawing, not necessarily even thinking about what I'm going to be doing, but actually just, yeah. Okay. Well, drawing. when looking at like your, your, the, the one installation in Belgium, which is really interesting. That was uh, to make a cenopath, cenotaph, sorry. From yeah, so that was one. a yeah, that was a huge project that was initiated by a collaboration between the British Artist Blacksmithing Association and the Belgian Guild, and okay. so they and um, and Terry Clark, uh, one of the British blacksmiths. So uh, they conceived of this idea of this seven ton hunk of core 10 steel that comes out of the ground. And then there's at the base of it, there's a circle of, of 2016 hand forged poppies that were made by blacksmiths from all around the world. 
I got a bunch of people and a bunch of blacksmiths across Vic- Canada to forge poppies for that. Wow. Victor- was Victoria Patty part of that? I want to say I heard. No, there were like 180 blacksmiths from around the world who were part of yeah, that. I think, yeah. I th- yeah. Probably then. Yeah. <laughs> what year was that again, sorry? 2016. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure yeah. I remember Victoria Patty talking about yeah. that on her podcast back in, she used to run a blacksmithing yeah. podcast. So. Blacksmith or radio, you mean? You so, got it. That's yeah, the one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Were you, were you uh, interviewed for her show ever? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that, yeah. So that, I mean, I was invited by the British one, like Henry Palm Pritt was one of the people that was organizing that Ypres monument. Uh, invited me to design one of the railing sections. So there were a series of sec- of railings at the base of the monument. Okay. So he invited me to design one of those railings and represent Canada and then go to Belgium. And then I would have this random team of six people who would volunteer to and over a course of two days we forged all the pieces and assembled the railing section so there were a bunch of there were I think there were 13 12 other blacksmiths from different countries who were invited and then the other half of the railings they did by sort of a competition so a design competition Um, yeah how how did you get connected with that uh well I had met Adrian I met Henry Pomfret at the Emma International Collaboration. Do you guys know about okay. that at all? No. no. Ever heard of it? No. <laughs> well, it's an amazing event. So it takes place uh, in um, about, about a couple hours, two and a half hours north of Saskatoon. And there's a site there, the Nest Creek Festival site. So they yeah. have a music festival. Yeah. And then they also have a bunch of other things. And one of the things that happens every other year is the Emma International Collaboration. And they invite 100 artists from different countries, uh, a lot of craft based artists, but not all. And some people who are really well known, and then other people who are emerging artists. And basically everyone comes and, you know, yeah, they're staying in a cabin or staying in a tent. And, uh, and there are different areas set up kind of like a music festival except for making so there's an area set up for blacksmithing and metal fabrication and wood turning and wood carving and basket making and textiles and found objects and painting and jewelry making and coppersmithing and you just make stuff over a period (laughs) of six days with a bunch of other people who make stuff for a living for the most part and have all these amazing conversations and everyone eats together the food is incredible this woman wanda who runs restaurant in the town of big river does all the cooking excellent for everyone vegans vegetarians and then there's a little lake nearby and yeah i don't know i when i first left home i worked as a junior ranger so i was 17 put your name in a lottery went and worked up in northern ontario for the summer so you live in an atco trailer on the weekends and then go out into the bush and work in the in the bush for the summer so and that was boreal forest so when i went up to i got invited actually to can iron in when was it 2009 i guess okay uh so john monteith and myself and john little and adrian leg were were all the demonstrators and it was all boreal forest oh wow this is like home right this is like where i tree planted um so it was really fascinating and at the point where i got invited to emma I was at a point where I would look around my shop and I was so just, 
I thought, I got all this amazing equipment around me and I just want to get the fuck out of here. I just want to go home. You know, I was just yeah. so unmotivated, unmotivated because I felt like a total failure because I wasn't making, I wasn't successful according to how we're judged in society in general. And, uh, and anyway, I went to M Collaborative and I realized, oh yeah, everyone else has a hard time making money too. So made me feel better. And just having conversations with people who value the making of things, I guess, as a really fundamental part of a way of living one's life mm-hmm. made me feel like a normal human being again. Anyway, it totally changed my life. Um, and I met lots of people. And as a result of that, I ended up being able to go and travel to Australia and teach there and then New Zealand and Hawaii. And this is through and, the connections you made at Emma? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, cool. it's kind of like family. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's an incredible environment. There are other collaborations. There's one that takes place in New Zealand. There's another one that takes place in Hawaii. And it all started, I think it started with um, uh, Michael Hoslick, Wood Turner, who was one of the key people in, in Saskatoon. And there were all these wood turners who would go to conferences like we as blacksmiths go to blacksmithing conferences. And then you have a demonstrator. And then they said, well, it'd be way more fun if we just made stuff together instead of having someone tell us how to do it, right? So they thought, well, let's make stuff together. Wow, this would be even more fun if we got other craftspeople involved, right? So it's been a very fascinating sort of way of of learning right learning about craft learning about one's own craft by looking at other way other people work with different materials and and all of that yeah it's been awesome. so that's how i ended up getting involved in ypres because henry pomfret and adrian leg who both teach at hereford college right that's where yeah. james ended up he that's where he went to school so that's yeah that's how i met them very cool uh follow-up question over the years have you seen a bit of a transition in people's thoughts on like handmade products. Like when you're in Saskatoon, you mentioned that everyone was kind of struggling with the, the selling, making money with their wares, but is, have you seen any changes in that over the years? Well, I just, I guess what I mean is like, you know, I'm a, I have a child, I'm a parent. I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, follow my passion and do the work. And I don't own a house. I don't have a partner. I've been a single parent for 23 years or 20 years, I guess. And, and trying to make a living and, and succeed financially. I guess I could have made different decisions about how I made things. I don't buy pre-made stuff and everything I do is kind of like a, a prototype. And those are choices that I made, right? I really like, I love the design aspect. I love figuring things out. So not, I don't really work with interior designers who give me, say, here's the design and do it. So I, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of extra work that I've done that um, has never been, I've never really figured out how to charge for it. Because on the one hand, you're a blacksmith, right? So you're kind of this person who does this dirty work. Uh, and you're not really <laughs> perceived as a professional and you're not like an architect, right? Architects oh, really? have, have uh, a scale of expectation of what they can charge for the work. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, and I continue, I always underestimated the value of what, of what I do and I've been able to survive. So, yeah. I, I get told. I can't remember that where that the question a, was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I hear that uh, way too often that, you know, we uh, under underestimate our value when it comes to what we do as artists. And, uh, you know, it, it's the regular, uh, regular aspect that for an artist to look at their own work and value it the way somebody else can is next to impossible almost. But yeah, I mean, because we're always looking at, you know, what's wrong with it and what we could do better. I mean, you were talking, you were asking me about craft and about craft objects and have things changed over the years and the value. I think that the whole slow food movement and probably even COVID and this sort of realization that buying things local and that kind of thing and the fact that I mean, there are lots of people now who have kids who are always on phones, right? So maybe yours, right? I mean, I'm glad yeah. my son was, I'm glad that my son was, you know, there weren't phones around when he was young, right? So I didn't have the option of having to take it away. I didn't have to worry about it, you know? So I think that people, intellectually anyway, value um, handmade objects. But even me, I mean... It's, you know, computers and phones and social media, all of that is super addictive. And it's way, you know, you end up finding yourself just kind of whatever spending time there. I spend, <laughs> I don't read as much as I did, you know, don't read novels. And, yeah. you know, I, the idea of people traveling in vehicles, I, I used to take my son out to, out east lots, drove out to Newfoundland and mm-hmm. on really long road trips. And there was never a phone or a, or a movie thing to watch, you stare out the window and you get bored, right? Or you think of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So it's a different, it's a different experience. So I, I think though that there, that people are, I think people value things that are handmade, but I don't think that anybody who doesn't make anything for a living would ever believe that it takes that long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I finished a bunch of things. Oh, how hell did that ever take so long to make? <laughs> yeah. Four hours trying to figure out the damn patina. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. 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 That happens. That happens. <laughs> Lyndon, you cut that an inch short. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Restart. Yeah. Do it all over again. But um, sorry to kind of throw in a little bit of a mix here i guess but we're hitting a really interesting kind of topic that i'm hearing coming up a lot right now actually it's uh i don't know if you know jimmy deresta and his crew on the making a podcast but they were talking about this and then um jeff fader and mareka morassi were also talking about it on on the knife talk podcast but imposter syndrome and oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of. It, it, I find it funny that you're kind of hitting on the same notes a little bit here about how you know you look back at yourself and kind of was like you know had to come to senses. Is is this who you are? Are are you an artist? Should you be doing this right? And I mean, where does one kind of find that that line where they can say yes i'm an artist or no i'm not i mean what's where do you find people go to school that's okay so you look at black you look at the whole tradition in europe of apprenticeship training right you get told how to do something people who learn they're in that system they're super confident because they know exactly how to do something because they've been trained this is how you do it right and then you know right you're efficient you're fast at it but 
they're not necessarily creative in what they're doing. Right. Is that art? Right. And so, but if you go through some sort of program where you've got people judging what you're doing and they're saying, oh, this is great, you know, and then you sort of achieve this level, then you sort of have permission to say, this is who I am and this is what I've achieved. But I think that in North America, I mean, I don't know where you guys learn, but when I started forging, there was a, I took a weekend course, a Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday intro blacksmithing course from Dean Kiesner in St. Jacob's. And then a month later, I took the advanced course, which was tool making another Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that's it for the formal training I had. Wow. Right. And I set up a shop with uh, a couple of friends and I was teaching art at a private school. I'd finished university and I was teaching art and I would go into the shop in early in the morning, teach till three, go swimming get clean and teach in the like after school and evenings and weekends. Um, and I just, you know, I kind of found forging by accident and fell in love with it. And, and yeah, just kind of persevered, but I spent so much time feeling like a fraud and feeling as though I wasn't, what I did wasn't legitimate and sure I was slow and there were lots of, yeah, lots of ways I did things that didn't make sense or weren't efficient, but I don't know. I read a post this week about make? artists and makers who are trying to price their stuff. Low self-esteem. Yeah. Boils down to that. <laughs> like someone would pay me for this knife that I have beside me for way more than what I would charge them. But my low self-esteem makes me undercut my own work. So there's a guy by the name of Neville um, Parker, who is an artist in New Zealand. And he started a podcast during COVID called The Art Wonk. And he has run like six galleries and craft galleries. I've been to his place. He had this place called Icon Studios. He had like an 11 acre uh, sculpture park. He had wow. three, two gallery <laughs> spaces, two little studios. And this is on the South Island of New Zealand where the population is only 1 million people. Yeah. what? And he, and it was amazing. Like the facility was super professional and he was selling work made by people. They worked with wood, some were painters, some worked with steel, lots of craftspeople. And it was really fascinating watching him sell their work. And it's all about, because I mean, other people can recognize the value in what you do. We're, we're too close to what we do. Right? We're sort of inside yeah. of it. And I don't think that you can be inside of it and outside of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having uh, your business partner, did that help a little bit with? Uh, Ugh, no, it was bad now. business partners. <laughs> <laughs> he was not a business. He was, yeah, this is like, yeah, should never have set up a business with him. That's okay. We're Aww. still good friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love Steve and he's a beautiful maker of things, but yeah, running a business together was, you know, should have done it for like way less than 14 years. <laughs> well, one of the things is that he didn't want to collaborate with people, right? He didn't uh... want anyone else working his shop. And he said, well, no one else can do anything as perfect as me. And this is one of the things about the whole imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Or the, so I thought that everything I made had to be perfect. And when, yeah. because we live in a world where we see stuff that's manufactured, we think that the shapes have to be perfect visually, right? And it took me a really long time uh, 
to, you know, I've, I guess I probably had to go and look at ironwork in Europe, really to look at how expressive it was. And I realized, okay, I'm not a painter. Um, and I but I do love looking at paintings. And I love, yeah, I go to galleries a lot. And I realized that the painters that I loved were not the ones who make things look like realistic, you know, like, like, oh, that looks like a real tree. The painters that I love the most are the ones that produce something that expresses something that I can feel in response. And so I started thinking or realizing, well, that's what I actually really love about forge work. And that's what's really hard to do. Is it bad work that's not perfect or, you know, or the, you know, how it's a fine line, right? Where mm -hmm. things are, the imperfections are what make it feel like it's something that's real or, I mean, there's, there's lack of skill in perfection that is bad, right? <laughs> that you only can see once you've been doing it for a while. Anyway, it's a, it's a, <laughs> I realized that what I like the most is the expressive stuff. Nice. Yeah, well, uh, did you catch the uh, episode that we did with Moran from Vancouver? No, I, ha no, I haven't listened oh, to it yet. Yeah. De dear Lord, that man's art is about as expressive, expressive as you can get. And... Uh, there's actually another gentleman from uh, out that he's out that direction that I want to get in on the show in the near future here. Um, Red Cod Forge. Okay. And uh, he's another one to check out that does some really uh, expressive artistic. work. Nice. Yeah, very artistic. Write that down. <clears throat> Red Cod, you said? Red, yeah, Red Cod Forge. David uh, Casper. Kasperdick or Kasprick, I believe is his name. But uh, the expressive side of art, I mean, it there doesn't seem to be the the drive for it per se, like there is for the knife makers. Like the knife makers have forged in fire. They've got all these, you know, flashy things going on on TV that are drawing people in by the hundreds and thousands right now. The knife making community just exploded in the last 10 years. People are buying up every last anvil and chunk of metal that they can find throughout, yeah. you know, their grandparents' backyards and whatnot. But the artist side of things, I don't see a way to kind of push it in the community the same way the knife community does. Like there's not a way to do a, a competition really per se, like you do with the knives or whatnot, but maybe you can, maybe you've got an idea of, of something different that I haven't thought of in, in regards to that, that, you know, the community can do say at a hammer in what can, what could a group of people do towards a collaborative piece that you know, really draws in the people to a, to an artistic side. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's sort of what the Emma Collaborative is about. I mean, it's all about collaboration. It's not as though you go there and you work on your own thing beside someone else. You actually work on the whole purpose of it is actually is to do one stage of something. You either hand it off to someone or you sort of start talking to someone. Oh, I'll do this part and I'll do that part. A wood person will do this and that. And one of the things that that we've really tried to do, I guess that I've tried to do in the public art projects that I've done. Uh, we did a, for a few years ago, 
um, we won a competition to do a, a bench that was um, for one of the ion stops. They put a light rail transit system in Kitchener here. Nice. And so at the time, my shop was inside a 40,000 square foot space where there were two other businesses and the one business they rolled steel oh, and cool. like massive sheets of steel way at the other end of the building, they'd, they'd trucks it back in. They had an 80 foot long plasma cutting table and they had stacks of steel. It was like stacks of paper, right? It, the scale of it was really fascinating. And so they got the contract to roll all of the rails. So everywhere the train goes around a corner, right? It's got to have an inside and outside radius. So they had to roll all the train track. And they were doing that at down at the end where my shop was, it was all open space, like no walls between the different businesses. And so I kept seeing all these like stacks of rail, you know, pile up around me. I thought, oh, I really got to think of something to do with the train track. And so I took a hunk out of their bin and I put it on my kitchen table and I was looking at it. And then one day I was like, looked up at the shelf and there's this whale bone. And I had, I thought, oh, like a vertebrae is like a bone that separates into three pieces and a train track is sort of similar, right? Three. I thought, oh, maybe I can figure out how to make a vertebrae out of that. So we ended up doing this section of train track that we actually pinched it. So it started to curve and then it transitions and we created this cantilevered bench and we cut slices of the track so it um unfortunately into what looked like vertebrae like sort of transitions from train track into bone yeah very um, cool that sounds yeah. awesome <laughs> for everyone who's listening yeah. you can go to twosmiths.ca and check out that structure it's it's stunning looks yeah. really cool yeah the, the- it was a fun project the description of that really like drives me to want to be there to see how that all came together like i'm vision i have the vision in my mind of you playing with these pieces and deciding how they're gonna lay out and just seeing that piece sitting on your kitchen and kitchen counter and boom the whalebone too like my mind my mind visually saw that stuff that's amazing i love it yeah so what we did when we were before it was installed i thought I've done a lot of work in the community here. I started a museum, like a children's museum, a long time ago here. That's the whole project morphed into something else, but it's still a museum that operates downtown Kitchener. But so I thought, well, a lot of people don't like public art or don't value it. And I thought, what I'm going to do is that before we install this project, I'm going to have an event. So I contacted the neighborhood association. I said, look, I said, we're working on this public art project. Is there some event that we can coordinate? Um, so we brought our forges to this community center and we set up uh, so that people could actually come and participate. So over the course of a day, the community members forged one of the bones that is part of the sculpture. Wow. And we had all Brilliant. the pieces laid out and I wanted them to see this is not something that gets cast. We actually are slicing each piece and hammering it all. I mean, I'm not sure if they understood that, but at least it was there and it's this heavy stuff and no, they got the experience. The fact that you can change the shape of metal with heat that's, and hammer. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's such an awesome idea. It was one of my favorite experiences. We've done that a couple of times. We did another one with needles, and it's just so incredible when you see these little kids come right. and show up, right? And their heads are barely above the edge of the anvil. And they're <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, speaking of anvils, are you know, Justin, you were gonna say something, man. I you wanna? I I I don't have I, that sexy voice, Lyndon. Well, oh no, no, I I was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna go there quite yet. <laughs> oh, but, okay. But but 
hey, if you want to tell me about your tool, <coughs> I mean tools, let's uh, let's talk about your tools. <laughs> that's um, aw- that's so awkward, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not check here. <laughs> She's leaving. Yeah. Oh, She's I'm coming gone. back. <laughs> oh, hang on. She is bringing a what beautiful. Is that? <laughs> this was a tool that I made. Oh, it's a, a number of years ago oh. for an exhibition. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to make this and carve this handle? I was actually carving the handle when. Jeff Helms was a student. He was like over my shoulder. I went in early in the shop. He's like, oh, get away from me. I don't want you to see what I'm doing. So So it was for an exhibition. And I thought, I thought it'd be a great gig. I never did it. But I thought, wouldn't it be fun to like, just sort of stick this on the anvil and just kind of leave it there and see who wouldn't touch it. (laughs) So it's a hammer with a handle in the shape of a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So that's my answer to your question about the tool. Sandra's <laughs> waving it around the webcam. <laughs> I'm envious of the tool. <laughs> awesome. Actually, one uh, of the best tools in our shop is nothing made out of metal. It's these boxes we made. So we had to do, we had to make some, we had to do a railing for a, front steps in Toronto and it was far away so I thought okay let's measure the steps and so we made up a bunch of plywood boxes for the steps and we actually used those plywood boxes to stand on things because Amy and I are both really short right <laughs> in order to turn on the switch to get the power hammer <laughs> power to the power hammer you got to stand <laughs> on the box and then I stand on the other little box to get <laughs> the scanner <laughs> yeah so, nice yeah <laughs> I, I see. I imagine something from Lord of the Rings with the the hobbits working on the machinery. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, um, what, you I, were going to ask a question, Lyndon. I was, it wasn't tool yeah, related. Well, well, it is because we were talking about tools and stuff. And one of the things I always like to know when it comes to somebody's story is, tell me about your first anvil like was it maybe it wasn't even an anvil maybe it was a chunk of steel that fell off the back of a tractor while you're driving down the highway with your dad and you yelled at your dad to stop hit the brakes real quick we're picking (laughs) up this chunk of steel because i know somebody that did that that's a good story (laughs) it's a really good story actually we're gonna have to get together with that gentleman and talk to talk about that story but i want to know your story tell me about your first anvil yeah my first anvil i still have it in my shop it's the it's a farrier's anvil and i bought it in a rivet forge for 135 dollars yeah it's actually in super great condition i still use it as one of our main forging anvils so farrier's anvil being just of a certain weight or shape or yeah it's pretty small it's like under 100 pounds it's got a very pointy horn yeah okay yeah it's it's still in excellent condition yeah i don't know if i've ever bounced a ball bearing off it. it's pretty loud but yeah it was yeah i just felt like yeah okay i'm a real blacksmith now that i've got an anvil so what kind of uh pretty light i can carry it around yeah those are good to have if you you know do any sort of traveling right like demos and stuff like that yeah i don't yeah i made sure to pick myself up uh i have a hundred pound anvil that i bought specifically that i can use to head out to 
Derek Foster's place when he's having a hammer in or one of the other guys in our group when they have one. Yep. So. One of the really efficient anvils I made was not anvil shaped in the way you think. It was just actually a piece of, trying to figure out how big is it, like four inch round piece of solid four inch round and then made a base. So it sits on the base and it has a couple little handles so you can turn it. I actually made it so that uh, we could do a bunch of chiseling, right? So with a chisel mm. with a handle on it, so you could split through steel because it has a really small surface, but you can move it and you can move around the thing really easily. Right, so. right. How tall is it? Uh, I don't know, 32 inches kind of thing. So taller than your average anvil height then, right? I guess so, yeah. Okay. Or at your average anvil height. I don't know. Okay. We're, what were we measuring 32 inches for? I think in our swage block stands kind of thing. Okay. Maybe it's 30 inches. Yeah. Okay. I've lost track of all those numbers of things. You know, we have anvils that are taller for taller people and ones that are shorter for short people like me. And yeah. What kind of uh, anvil sizes are you guys running now in the shop? Uh, most of our anvils are over 200 pounds. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. So that, yeah, so they don't move around. You know, I have a concrete floor in the shop, and it, the, the floor actually drains. So if you got water, then it's convenient because it goes down the drain. But if you, it kind of limits the way we've got, you know, if you've got a or metal, we've got stands made out of metal for the most part. We have some on stumps. But if you got them made out of metal and then you turn them on the diagonal, then they kind of wobble, which is a, a kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. What about an assortment? Yeah. What about power hammers and presses? You guys using an assortment? Uh, I have a yeah. So we only have one power hammer. I bought a same act from Tom Clark. That was the year just before he died. So that would have been when did I buy that? Two thousand and eight, I guess. I worked for fourteen years without a power hammer. Crazy. Um, anyway, so this wow. is a great. I love it. It's functioned really well for me. Mm -hmm. What's yeah. the weight on it? Yeah. It's 132. Beauty. That's nice. Kilogram or pound? Uh, pound. Pounds. Yeah. 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 Nice. So um, completely, uh, my apologies for my ignorance. I don't, I, who is Tom Clark? If you don't mind me asking. So Tom Clark used to run the um, uh, Ozark School of Blacksmithing. And he had these these hammers made. I think that they're sort of based on the Samac hammer, and they're built in Turkey. And I can't remember the name of the person who took over. I had just contacted him recently because our the belt um, broke, and I had to do some maintenance on the power hammer. And they have a whole new manual that they produce, which is really great. So they've still continued selling them. Um, it's a self-contained air hammer. Yeah, so you just plug it into the wall and. We don't even have a special foundation for it. We just sort of put some bolts in the floor and no way. It and yeah, yeah. So sorry, You're getting those dings, Amy. Oh. Yeah, we have a little. We have a small pump organ that our neighbor at the shop didn't want to throw out. We've been trying to get rid of it so it can make more space at the back of the shop. <laughs> don't anyway. need a pump organ in the shop. Well, we already have a piano, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't need a bump organ. Come on. No, because you never know who might show up at the shop and can play piano. Uh, Bronson plays the piano, and then there's a, actually a leather worker that we met recently who were trying to get to teach courses out of our shop. He moved here from Ireland, and he plays gorgeous piano. So. Nice. Crazy. 
artists and musicians tend to go hand in hand but it's one thing that i have absolutely no talent with whatsoever is music music yeah couldn't hold a tune if my life depended on it (laughs) what about yourself are you musically inclined at all or i used to play guitar and i played a little bit of violin for a while and i used to sing mainly used to sing at coffee houses with my best friend sam um, but I haven't done that for many years. Yeah. yeah. I realized that I preferred to sit back and listen to other people perform. Unless, unless it's me on karaoke night. <laughs> <laughs> Cover your ears. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I used to play guitar as well, but it's been a while. Never Was never really good at it. So, Lyndon, what's next? <laughs> Sandra, while well, we went through the, the power hammer, what do you have any other tools in the shop that kind of have a story attached to them or to it? Sorry. I'm sure I have many of them. I realized, well, yeah, I, that's just one of the things I was going to say when I was thinking about tools in the shop. Recently started teaching a, a, a copper wildflower making course. So originally I thought, okay, get people to come in with ideas about flowers and then create a pattern and, and then cut the copper out and then make the flower, which, you know, anyone who has ever made things knows that takes a lot of time because in the planning and the designing stage and then the cutting the copper out, not very many people are really adept at cutting the copper out with tin snips. And then you got to file the edges and it kind of takes forever and it's a bit fiddly. Um, But uh, one of the things I realized when I did the first course uh, is that we used probably about half the tools in the shop. So I've got all kinds of bits of metal that are rounded over and that are curved in this direction and then a counter curve and then little indentations. And I don't, there are no names for any of these tools and some of them fit in post vice and some of them just fit in the anvil and other ones you have to clamp to the table. But I realized that as, People were coming up, you know, they'd say, oh, I want to make the ship. Oh, right. And go on over here and you get this thing. And I realized I have this huge library of tools. And I realized over COVID, like, there's nothing in my shop that's of value. If I went, to go, if I were to go bankrupt and had an auction, I don't know, I want to be able to get for all my stuff, $20,000, probably not even. But the stuff that's super valuable are all these tools that we've made, like slitting chisels and the odd-shaped tools. And I can use them for teaching courses. Like it's, a way, it's a really great way of making money using those tools. But to most people who walk into the shop, they have no idea. Some people mm-hmm. walk into our shop and it just looks dirty. And other people, like most people come in the shop, they have no idea that those things are of any value. But at the end of the course, there was this stuff was spread out everywhere. I thought, wow, isn't that fascinating? But it wasn't until we sort of ran the course where people needed all these little shapes that you don't anticipate them needing until you think, oh, yeah, I know what will work. So, so if you're an ma- interesting realization. Are you making a lot of your own tools then, right? Oh, yeah. all of Yeah, we make what- all our tongs and everything yeah what's uh your go-to steel for making your stuff out of oh depends i mean we use a lot of scrap steel i have a guy bram porter who's an afghanistan war vet who kind of showed up at the shop he's become part of the shop family he goes dumpster diving for us oh crazy so axles and leaf springs he's actually from winnipeg that's where he grew up huh crazy yeah Yeah. 
Um, and we used we used ten forty five for our hammers, and uh, I tried making a whole bunch of chisels out of H thirteen for a while, and I didn't really get good success with that. I used more high carbon steel, I guess, for the most part. Was it the fact that it's so impossibly hard to forge? <laughs> Justin? Well, I don't know. Well, that part wasn't so bad, but it was the, yeah, didn't seem to, I don't know. I never got the air cooling properly figured I out, I guess. Yeah. I think you think you need to ha show Justin how it's done because he can't even yeah, do it with so. his presser, apparently. <laughs> this is a huge chunk, man. <laughs> it's got what size like, is it? It's about a foot and a half long and it's about. I don't know, four inches thick by three oh, inches. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah no wonder. I, yeah. yeah. My press is just, yeah. Yeah. There's it's a not, guy, not there's a guy, a blacksmith by the name of Will McGuire, who's in Australia, New South Wales. Okay. And I was in Australia a few years ago, setting up a, a teaching facility there. And uh, we went to visit Will McGuire and he learned how to forge in this massive shop where they did like, like punch like a hole. You get a plug like this big in diameter. What's that? Two and in, two inches in <laughs> diameter. And then they would forge those out into bigger rings, like massive stuff. Um, and they had a press there and he had a piece of 4140, I think it was like two inch square, like a two inch cube. Mm -hmm. And they like, squished it cold cold Whoa! yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. metal working on a whole other scale yeah and that guy Crazy. yeah yeah well that's a, that's jake james right now he's down at the center for metal arts with pat Quinn, oh yeah right? i've been looking oh at those God. yeah <laughs> this is, looks that like he's hammer. forging human legs pretty much yeah. like wow yeah. <laughs> so cool yeah i'm I mean, do you uh, do you have to have like a crane or anything like that in your shop? Do you guys move any super heavy stuff around like that yeah, in your shop? I, or? I used to have a jib crane a few shops ago. And then the last shop I was in, we had a 20 ton crane, which was super handy. Nice. For different things. Yeah. yeah. Ran the whole length of the shop. I don't have a crane in my current shop. Mm. The biggest thing we forged is a four inch diameter piece of stainless steel that we slit and drifted into the eye of a needle. Oh wow! It took five of us, a day and a half to slit slit it, and it took five of us another half day to drift it. And yeah. then I think Amy, then Amy probably spent a week and a half grinding. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, and then another week and a half. It was one of those stupid things to do, but it was fun to do, right? Because you got a bunch of other people that you're working with and sweating with, and just kind of socializing and having a good time. With. So, what did it become? I have a needle. So we did a public art piece where there's a like a 15 foot long stainless steel sewing needle. So okay. we had to do the eye out of solid and then the body of the steel is stainless tube. And then okay. the, the point of the needle was solid too. Okay. So we welded it all together. Yeah. Cool. And where where was this installed? Uh, in Kitchener. Sorry. In Kitchener. Another public art piece. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a sculpture. It's 50 it feet long kind of thing. Textile it's like, area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Weber Street, the, the whole the Weber Street, Weber means Weaver, Weaver, and uh, oh, okay. and the street kind of goes like this. Um, and it's you know the whole point of the well these public art proposals you got to sort of hit a whole bunch of buttons that they are saying yeah. had to reference the industrial um, manufacturing history of Kitchener and also had to tie into IT and anyway yeah hmm. got it all. 
Very interesting. But it was fun making the making the needle. Yeah. So it's the needle sews through a bunch of ripples of core tin and steel that are meant to be the fabric. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Wow. So how how do you like go about that? Like, would you get involved with the city somehow? You know somebody? Well, there are public or... art. There are public art proposals are posted. So, like cities across Canada, major cities across Canada have a one percent for art public policy so any civic project that gets built so for instance the ion the lrt right or a new library or a courthouse or whatever they have to spend one percent of the budget on public art and there are public art working groups i'm sure there's one in in winnipeg um and they have a whole sort of been getting better at formalizing the process or putting out a call and then they have a jury and so basically they'll put out a call i get them on akimbo um and so basically you spend a week putting together a proposal or a request for responding to a a proposal not design but just talking about what you've done and then if you get shortlisted you spend another week or longer um coming up with the design and drawings and the budget and a timeline and that kind of thing so i've done a bunch of them um won a few of them we actually are we're shortlisted for a big one for a um, monument to Canada's mission in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. I worked on that. That's a big one that would go across from the Canada War Museum. Crazy. They're still currently in the process of deciding. So there are five teams from across Canada who are shortlisted. I worked partnered with a with an architect and a landscape architect for that one. Very cool. That's uh, yeah. that's big business, you guys. Like this. When okay, so Justin and I. We're hobby guys. We're just working out of our garages, doing what we do. You know, we're kind of new to it too. Sandra obviously knows what's going on. She's working business the way business needs to be business. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she she's on top of this stuff. Like, listen to this lady, man. She is nailing it down. I love it. I'm, I'm learning. And then I am absorbing right now because what you are telling me is exactly where I would like to take my business one day is in a bigger realm and doing yeah. public art and stuff like that. So this is very, very uh, invigorating to hear this information and uh, enthusiasm. The enthusiasm in me is growing greatly. I don't know if I'm using the right vocabulary here. I need another Fine. coffee. <laughs> I need another coffee. <laughs> I think the years of experience too gives you all these extra connections that you've made over the years to mm-hmm. be able to 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 have all these these wonderful resources. But uh yeah, I've been lucky. I mean I I found like there there was no YouTube, right? When I started. Nope. Right. I went went to lots of blacksmithing conferences in Ohio and and all over the place when I could afford it. Um and uh and but I also found that lots of times I would call up a business and ask people questions. Sometimes people had no clue, and for the most people, part people have no clue what happens to steel once you heat it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> but people were super helpful, and I've built these really wonderful relationships with you know businesses that will roll steel, and then another business who does lots of other fabrication and you know supply stainless steel, and sort of learn, yeah. The, the ins and outs of different businesses and I'll, mm-hmm. if I can get them to do some of the work for me, I will. Yeah. But I really enjoy that part of the, of the work of kind of communicating with other business people and trying to figure out and problem solve. And for the most people, for the most part, people are super motivated to figure out how to make things happen. 
Yeah. I don't live in Toronto, right? I live an hour west of Toronto and it's all Mennonite country on the fringes of KW. So you've got the high tech stuff going on through the universities. Um, there are condos going up all over the place here. Um, but there's still a really large sort of community of people who are really skilled. It used to be all manufacturing in, in KW and then they've taken all of those things out. So now all mm -hmm. of those factories are condos, right? Or lofts kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, um, but they're still on the outskirts of this area. There's still lots of people who are really skilled in all kinds of manufacturing and making of things. So it's very interesting mm -hmm. for that reason being here. Nice. Kind of have the mix, right? Yeah. Cool. You, it, you've done a lot of traveling too. You were saying throughout this whole chat that we've been having, a, there's been traveling all over the world. That's obviously been a huge resource to you learning and gaining your business as well, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like when I went to New Zealand and, and visited Neville Parker, he was one of the artists that had been at the Emma Collaborative uh, and realized, wow, okay, so if you can make money as a gallery owner in on the South Island of New Zealand, where there's a population of only 1 million, surely I can make money where I'm living, where I've got like, like 6 million people in my backyard, right? There's Toronto, Hamilton, London, there, yeah. KW, you know, and then there was, there's Ty Lake, who's a furniture maker who lives on the big island of Hawaii, right? And he had runs this, he builds furniture, gorgeous furniture, and he has got clients in, you know, Calgary, Alberta, and, and Japan, and, and that kind of thing. So it was really just, it was very fascinating to kind of see how other people, there's Ross and Ells, who's a woodworker in, in Australia too, and just seeing how people were able to sort of, I guess, connect with customers and make a living and that kind of thing. And it's not but just metal people, either. No, yeah, yeah, different craft, right? But all also people who are all very connected to the communities that they live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strong relationships with. Uh, and a game of patience as well. It doesn't happen overnight. It's years yeah. upon years of yeah. gaining skill, putting your work out there, and and making these connections. I think a lot and of being us dedicated are to just doing it right. Yeah, yeah. 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 working for it, working for it, hustle and grind, working for yeah. it. You got to pump it full blast. And uh, what's what's a couple? Not, give me a couple more to go on here. You see where I was going with that? <laughs> all all of our buddies, yeah. Um, and hey, while you're at it, checking out all those all those awesome podcasts, head over to our most favorite, absolutely most wonderful person in the world, Cindy has a website called Pritchell and Hardy. You can oh, yeah, get yourself right. a awesome discount there. We got 10% promo code going on FSC 10, right? Yeah, that's right. Gets you 10% off. And what kind of stuff you get over there? Uh, with the FSC 10, you can get 10% off on your belts, powdered steel and quenchants. But I want to send other people to the other uh, stores that are online in Canada too, because we've got knifemakerdirect.ca. They're awesome dudes. I got some, uh, a bunch of stuff at Caniron. They sent like desert ironwood, some steel for making Damascus. Great, great young guy out of uh, around Calgary. 
Um, Mike Janzer, he's running McKnives.com, I believe. I might be incorrect on the website. Um, McKnives. Anyway, um, he's starting up. He, I bought some micarta off of him. Um, some really nice stuff there too. He's kind of new to the game. You have to email him to get this uh, the products. And uh, of course, Audis Maritime. Uh, what is it? Maritime Knife Company? No, Knife Supply. Maritime Knife Supply, of course. Oh. So Lawrence Lake out east. Um, he's man. He's outfitting his shop with so much stuff. Where's um, he located? online i'm not sure what it is exactly yeah. i'll look nova, it up nova scotia yeah. nova scotia yeah nice yeah yeah and he's yeah. got he's got a wicked lineup of product that uh that he carries as well and oh yeah yeah he's a and quick, quick quick yeah um <laughs> i messaged him about uh, getting an even heat and he was telling me if you're uh if i have the ability to remove the pallet off a truck no okay that's an extra hundred dollars for that service he was able to calculate everything to the penny for uh for the shipping and everything but uh i need to pull the trigger on that but i'm waiting to figure out you are doing with my shot no no i've been working on I, i called my insurance company this week saying okay this is the situation i need to figure this out and uh yeah i don't know what the heck's going on i might be pouring a pad outside my shop so i can have my forge out there and mm-hmm. have an outbuilding so oh. right now come work with me bud uh yeah that'd be fun yeah. i don't want to drive across the city though <laughs> do you guys know who jeff helms is jeff helms jeff helms he's a he's a bladesmith yes. i know the name kind of rings mm-hmm. a yeah bell. you should you guys should interview him okay okay well, yeah look him up. so he yeah he like he's he's that's phenomenal work um he was working in the ottawa area he just moved out to cape breton and he does like he's done replica swords he's done replica work for the royal ontario museum he does casting he does filigree work he does Mm. bone carving he does like fabulous damascus like swords like yeah check him out jeff helms he has a website yeah so you should look at his work yeah Writing it, writing it down. And he's just Jeff, got a great attitude towards the work and very modest about what he does. And, nice. Yeah. You this lady is all over the shout outs today. <laughs> if you didn't get it, if this somebody you didn't give a shout out to, I, I'm gonna be surprised because I've heard about, I don't know, 50 different people that you've shouted out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it though. It's great. <laughs> Lots of lots of different people for everybody. Well, it's to all about the community of people that you want to know, right? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I really love about the the community of blacksmithing, right? I sometimes meet up with the people who it's new to them, and I say, yeah, you know, it's a really great community. I mean, you can go and travel places, and you know, I have somewhere to stay, and I've had you know journeymen come and work for me and stay in my house and. And it's just an incredibly welcoming community. And you should also get to know some of the blacksmiths in Quebec. You know, mm. Do you know about Les Forges de Montréal? Yep. We. Oui. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Justin speaks French. I do not. Can so. we do a French oh, yeah? interview? Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be a great idea. Yeah. 
And I'm out. <laughs> Lando, le fromage de la bouche. <laughs> <laughs> fromage avec la bouche. Come oh, fromage on. avec la bouche. So sorry. I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> well, Sandra, I think uh, I think it's the right time to say thank you very much yeah. for connecting with us. Um, totally. I'm I'm inspired to think about artistry and. Uh, expressing myself through steel yes Yes. i'm doing it i'm doing it i I said it when we interviewed moran i haven't gotten the time to do it yet and and also the collaboration um reaching out to other artists not necessarily within Mm. the blacksmith community to like think Mm. about art and i i you you planted the seed so uh excellent much for that great it's been really lovely meeting both of you Thanks, yeah. Sandra. Yeah, thank you. Treat pleasure. Yeah. Lando. And I'll listen to the rest of your podcasts. Kudu cuckoo. Thanks. Uh already. All right. Is it that time already? It's that time, man. Let's well, do it. Let's sign out. Good day. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining myself and my co-host, Justin Lamaru. And with that, We'll get better at that with time. (laughs) Ah, good luck. (laughs) You're a hose head. You're the hoser. You know what? I'm I'm glad that I'm bringing you over to the dark side. You realize that the whole point of doing this was I, I don't care about trying to bring the community together and all that stuff. I'm just trying to make you an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen uh, Blown Away on Netflix? I have not seen. I've several people have told me about it because it was filmed at Sheridan College, right? The glass blowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've watched the series a couple times. I've like, oh yeah, looped, looped through it twice. And uh, this weekend I was bored, and oh, yeah, let's do it a third time. Uh, but when you were talking about like, well, Lyndon asked like the competition artistry, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of, yeah. kind of related as. Uh, concept i wonder if something like that would work um i'm sure you could probably would the the difference i think between like forged and fire and knives like knives are sort of a specific thing in a way i know there's a ton of there's a lot of you know it will give a lot of design you can do in terms of a knife but it's a it's like a different feeling about knife making compared to art Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's a powerful symbol for all kinds of things. You can create things. You can use it as a tool. You can kill with it. You can cut things up. I mean, I don't know. You can fillet a fish. You can skin skin a beaver. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like a there's a it's a, and I think that's why there are a lot of people that are so you know drawn to knife making because it's such a symbolically powerful. Can I yeah. say can I say inappropriate things in the after show? Uh, I don't like editing, Lyndon. <laughs> okay, I won't say it then. I used to work on a trap line, so that's, yeah. So, you so was it related to the skinning beaver, Lyndon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's just yeah. leave it at that. Leave it at that. Yeah. So that way, I don't need to cut it out. <laughs> Okay. All right. Good day.
Nice. Yeah, the uh, Blown Away, the it's presented artistically at the end as well. So yeah. it does have right. like they talk about the artistry, the colors, what the representation, the feelings and and I, I don't have an art background, but that kind of stuff. So and I could see how that could work too, because it's short, you got a short working time, right? You gotta make fast decisions when you're working with glass because you gotta keep it moving, right? Yeah. 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 You know, six hour session. My brother used to hang out at there was a store on uh I want to say St. Mary's or something. It was down in our neck of the woods or whatever. And he used to hang out there all the time with his gang of friends or whatever, because uh, this is what back 15 16 years ago at least or whatever and uh they were you know they were doing their 420 stuff or whatever hanging out at this 420 store having their good times but there was a guy that was doing glass blowing in the mm. store and that was one oh, of the wow. things that he used to tell me about all the time is and he was so amazed by this glass blower and he just the guy just had a janky little kiln set up in the corner of the store and they you know it's it's unfortunate that the guys that do the glass, like in my eyes back then, anyways, they were very looked down upon. That's changed obviously in recent years now with the legalization of marijuana and whatnot. But the guys that do the bong uh, glass blowing and the pipe glass blowing are phenomenal artists like holy macaroni those guys the competition stuff that they do um mm. like, like my brother my brother's all about showing me this stuff that the guys do for competitions like ten thousand wow. dollar pieces and just full of different colors they'll put copper copper work into the glass and incorporate copper into it and yeah. stainless steel and that was something that i told my brother back you know 16 years ago i was like you know how cool would it be if they incorporated like stainless steel into it or something like guess what are they doing what are they, they doing do. now yeah so that's really interesting that's but that that is something that you know speaking about what we're speaking of with the collaborating and getting different artists together that's exactly like i actually want to learn glass blowing because nobody else can do it as perfect as you can right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should just well, collab think, collaborate. And I think that if you don't necessarily know how it's supposed to be done, that you can think of like sometimes people come up with really interesting approaches. Mm -hmm. right? Totally. That's an interesting take on it. Wow. I'm not gonna What's learn how to do the difference between, you know, doing an apprenticeship or trying to figure out stuff on your own. So you feel like the imposter, but there we go again. Also <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean look at jeffrey funk right you know who he is totally yeah who is he you know, he's a, a artist down in the united states an artist blacksmith down in the united states that makes amazing tools amazing and uh he was he'll on heat uh, rocks he'll heat rocks and like and and like forge rocks kind of thing stick steel yeah. into a rock and, yeah fascinating yeah, yeah. Working with a geologist. Yeah. Nice. Super Very cool. Lyndon, there's a, a glass blowing guild in Manitoba, or they were setting up when we were setting up the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember you we saying were, something about I was that. talking to a few of the, the people over there when we were trying to set it up, and I have those connections. Look at you. So, 
Oh boy. Oh. Handsome, smart, and he has the connections. Watch out, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. Yeah. Uh, got got my name written all over your heart, don't you? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, one of these days we'll collaborate when COVID takes a settle and everything kind of gets back together. And when those days come along, Sandra, I look forward to hopefully traveling out your direction and taking a visit with you and your shop. Yeah, and excellent. You guys. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. I've, yeah. I I had plans set to be in Fergus, Ontario. Oh, you did? Oh, for can, for can Iron. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it's an unfortunate twist of events that have somewhat become beneficial i guess in a way for myself and justin anyways with the ability to kind of take on can iron ourselves and run it as a virtual event um as disappoint very disappointing that we weren't able to go to it as an in-person event being able to run that virtual event was not only an amazing learning experience for both of us but being able to be part of the community it just it was such a heartwarming feeling to have as many people enjoy it as they did um, to be able to get to meet as many people as we did through the whole event as well. Um, and, you know, at this point now with running the podcast, I feel like we're just as what you tits deep per continue. se. Yeah. We're, we're, we're so deep in the community now it's no different than had we been able to go, go to Fergus this summer, you know, we're right, in the right, same boat. Yeah. So it's been interesting. Yeah. How those well, these kind of virtual things can actually work. Yeah. I remember first hearing about the idea that you could, you know, maybe someday you could talk on the phone and see someone. I think I was 16 at the time. And, oh, what a terrible thing that would be. I'd hate that. <laughs> oh, you'd have to, <laughs> you know, your I guess hair it depends or... who it is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well, guys, yeah. I'm gonna pull the plug. I'm gonna go in. This is my first uh my wife's first week back at school and she's she's wiped out, mm. so I'm gonna No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah that first week is torture. Yeah. So well, torture, tiring, very, very tiring. So yeah. Good night, guys. All right. Good night. Thank you very much, Sandra. Thanks, Sandra. Welcome. Yes. Pleasure. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye.